Sakpase in Minnesota. Thank you for joining us again today on Parlay. We have a special guest in the booth with us today. I'm excited to meet this man and have a great conversation. I've known him for a little bit. The executive director of Black Men Teach, Mr. Marcus Flynn. And uh, we'll hear a little few words from our community supporters, and we'll be back to chat with my man. Welcome back to Parlay. This is your co-host, Dominique Pierre Toussaint, a.k.a. Mr. Neek, a.k.a. Dom. And I'm sitting here with a gentleman I've been waiting to have a conversation all year with. This is my man, Mr. Marcus Flynn, the executive director of Black Men Teach. Sakpase, sakpase, Marcus. Maboule, man. How you doing? Oh, I love it. I love it. And he was straight with it, too. <laughs> Mr. Marcus, before we start this conversation, would love to hear about where you first opened your eyes up to this world where you were born, where you were raised, because those two things are different now, and it could be the same place. So please share with the audience. Yeah, man. So I was born on the south side of Chicago. I always forget the hospital, so I'm just trying to think when you preface me with the, with the question. And raised mostly uh, south suburbs, just outside of the city, a spot called South Holland. Lived in a spot called Homewood a little bit. Oh, we're Chi-Town, Chi-Town. Okay. Um, where did you where did you attend school? Where did you attend um, middle school, high school? Yep. So I went to high school in Homewood. It was called Homewood Flossmore High School. Yep. It was a an interesting school. I talked to people a lot since I moved to Minnesota. It's a place where I feel like you don't see a lot of this type of school I went to. It's majority black high school, but it was one of the only multiple blue ribbon award winning schools in the in the state, and so it was unique. Had a black male superintendent, had multiple black teachers throughout my time. And um, I mean, I tell people to this day, a lot of the most brilliant black folk I've ever met came from high school, man. We had a, a black woman who was the valedictorian who went to Harvard, was a cheerleader. And it was three of them. It was her and it was a Latinx guy who went to Stanford. And it was a white guy that went to Northwestern. But it was an interesting place to go to school, man. People doing all types of stuff. You're everywhere. just blowing my mind right now by saying how many people of color there were at your school because coming from Far Rockaway, Queens, I'm sorry. I did not see that. It was after after school mentor and stuff. Well, we're going to get a little deeper into that a little later on. But let, tell me, what other activities did you do? What type of extracurricular activities did you do at school? Man, in high school, I was I was simple. I just I hooped. That was it. I, I didn't do anything else. I played sports, and that was absolutely it. I was probably just like an okay student too. Um, I tried, but I that's it. That was the only like engagement I had. Was that what sports? Mm-hmm. It was a flex moment. What what sports did you do? So I played basketball, and that's it. I was one trick pony, man. I was simple. That was all. One trick pony. Now I'm gonna ask this question: Why did you feel like it was only basketball that you could do? Because during my era, we played multiple sports. Um, just because we had that opportunity to, and clearly you had as well. I did, but man, I went to a big high school, so we probably had 600 to 700 people in my graduating class. So the whole school was probably between 2,000, 2,500 people. It's like a small, it's like a community college. And so I remember when I came into high school, uh, I knew I was like, if I'm going to do something, I have to focus on it and be really intentional with it. And so I picked basketball. Stuck with that and just the entire time, just stayed with that. 
focused all of my energy on that. That's so interesting because a lot of the kids that I see or young adults right now that I see, that's what they turn to, focusing in on one sport and whatnot. So, well, after high school, what was your path after leaving high school? Yeah, so after high school, I ended up going to college in Iowa. So I went to Iowa State University. And, man, it's so random because a lot of times people ask, like, what made you pick that, like, especially coming from Chicago? Um, and it was, man, when I was young, I was not that thorough. I remember I got an email from Iowa State and it just asked me if you apply or just said if you apply, you get a free application. And it was early in my high school career, my senior year, and I knew, like, you know, this is the expectation. So I applied, get it, never visited, didn't know anybody who's going there, never been to Iowa, nothing. I just decided to go. Just picked it, man, randomly. That's okay. That's okay. Sometimes that random pushes you in a direction that you would have never thought of. Mm -hmm. Same thing to me going to North Dakota. Come on now. North you Dakota. went to college in North Dakota? Yeah, I went to school in North Dakota. Coming from the East Coast? Mm-hmm. That was a little culture shock to me. Yeah, same for me. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. How was it going into Iowa? Yeah, man, it was a, a unique experience. It was really unique. I, it's, it's, it's funny, man. You know, in, in, in Iowa, the black community is so small. And as a byproduct of that, people were so close, right? Coming from where I went to school and where I grew up, I didn't have the expectation to just come in and immediately gravitate to black folk just because. And when I got there, that's exactly what would happen. We would, I mean, I used to tell folk, like, it was not uncommon to go to the vice president's student affairs house. That's because he's a black person. Like, it it was weird. It was the first time where I ever saw that you could really leverage that, uh, your blackness for relationships. Mm. And so that connectedness was really different for me. And I, I really appreciate it because, like, some of the, best friends I have today came from Iowa and some of the like dopest people I've ever met were in Iowa. And it was, it was a good opportunity to get out, be with folk, learn, experience, be in the community and uh, just really build. Sometimes you just have to be out of the element that you were used to, to see what other options are there, I suppose. Mm -hmm. That's the same thing. I, I understand that. Believe me, I understand it. So now in college, I always ask this question. Did you do any extracurricular activities in college? Now, you went there. Yeah, I did. So college was where, like, a switch happened. Um, I went to college and immediately got involved in, like, the Black Student Union. And so that was my first taste of anything leadership-related. That was my first taste of anything really revolved around, like, race equity. And I feel like a lot of the what I do right now, that was my opportunity to kind of pilot it. And so I, I honestly, with Black Men Teach and the way I lead now, I learned a lot and I model a lot of what I do based on what I practice in college around that. Got a lot of, I like, learned a lot about coalition building. How do you bring people together? How do you highlight community? How do you lead a group? College is hard to lead because you got, like I'm the president of Black Student Union. We got maybe 12 people in our cabinet. Nobody's paid. Everyone has other things that are top priority. So it's like, how do you, motivate folk to come together to to push initiatives to do things that are new do things that are different how do you uh recruit folks to want to come in because when i started it with the black student union it was really really disorganized really 
like not a lot of unity among people. And so it was an opportunity to just exercise a lot of muscles that are now integral to what I do. Like I'm, I came in and we would have, like when I first started, when I first came to college and I would go to the Black Student Union meetings, there were probably like 15 people who would show up regularly. And that was like nowhere near enough. And so it's like when we took over, um, it was an opportunity to, get folk in and we started having like close to probably 50 or so people coming in consistently and started doing a lot of events and I still follow them on Instagram now. There were things we did for the first time back then that they still do today. This is like seven, eight years later. And so. You plant the seed though. Yeah, man, planting seeds. Um, Really, it was my first opportunity to come in and like have a vision and get people to buy in and make it manifest. And I think seeing that built a lot of confidence in my ability to lead something because I had never done it before. Like I said, in high school, all I did was play ball. And I wasn't even like the starter, the star, no nothing. I was just on the team. We had a whole bunch of guys who could really play. So I'm just there. And so I never had anything where I was at the forefront, where I was leading anything, where I was trying to unite folk, anything, until I got to that point and did that in uh, in undergrad. Well, let me, let me hit you off when 2020 hit. So after you've been in college, you've kind of gotten the foundation of learning how to be led and becoming a leader. When 2020 pandemic hit, what did you learn during that time? Because I know everybody learned something or enhanced their ability to move forward with possibly what their initiative was. And we're going to get to your initiative as well. What changed for you when the pandemic hit? Yeah, 2020 was a crazy time, man. I was uh, I was teaching at that time. And so, one, it just taught me a lot about what students need. And so I had a student in particular, man. I'll never forget this. So when I taught that year virtually, um, I probably had four days in person, and the rest of the school year was online. And during that pandemic time, I had a student who was so committed to not doing work. This man went ahead and cut his, he had a school issue computer. He just cut his cord. He cut his charging cord so he just could not come to school because he didn't want to have any reason to show up. When he did show up, he would be like sitting sideways, playing his video game, doing all types of stuff, always being distracted, um, and never, like almost never engaged. But again, I have four days in person. I get this kid in person and man, he was like the star student. He was so engaged. So young black boys, fifth grade, he's so engaged. He was like first person with his hand up. He was like, let me lead the line. Let me do all of these things, engaging with his classmates. And it just really highlighted how important it is for kids to have like that in-person learning. That was the first thing the pandemic taught me. The absolute number one thing was like, school is just not meant to be online in any fashion. I think intuitively we knew this, Right, you think about yeah. it. I don't know if you did any college online. It was always different than being in person. And that's being 18, 19, 20, 21, right? Being 10 years old and trying to do something online is virtually impossible. Virtually impossible to pick up anything. So that's the very first thing the pandemic taught me was just kids need to be in person. When they're in person, they're a completely different student than online. Um, now, I'm going to be real now. There was two things that affected us doing the pandemic. 
Now, not the elephant in the room, but I'm a big black male. And I happened to know George Floyd. I knew him through bodyguard mm-hmm. and things like that. I didn't realize who he was until I really started hearing more. How did that affect you when that situation hit the streets? Yeah, man, that stuff was crazy. Um, I lived on 9th in Chicago at the time. And so obviously he's murdered on 38th in Chicago. So it's that proximity is different. Um, I still vivid. It's one of those moments. And I think of a lot of things through the lens of school because just of my proximity to kids as a teacher. Um, that moment for them was like 9-11 for my generation. It's something where you just never forget where you were. And I'll never forget where I was in that moment. Um, and just being present. So like actually going down the day after he's murdered down to uh, the corner of 38th and Chicago and seeing this huge group of like maybe 500 to 1,000 people. And this is peak, peak pandemic. where like, you don't know what how COVID gonna affect you. Like, you feel like if you just get close to somebody, you might die, right? Like, this is that level of pandemic COVID. And going down there and seeing all of those people, uh, and then later that night going down and driving down Lake Street while it's, like, on fire. People are breaking into spots, going through everything, like, looting every single building that you see. I remember turning down Lake, and the first thing I see is Chicago Lake Liquor. People kicking in the door, running in there. I look to the left. I see people jumping out of whatever stores on that corner there, driving down that street. It's like gunshots going off, people driving crazy, seeing Target on fire. It's a, I mean, it's a, a time that you can just never forget being in Minneapolis. And I mean, the impact as a black man is obvious, right? Well, at least for us, like something like that, man, that's, that's, that's trauma. That's real trauma to have to experience that proximity to 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 see that once again like the little value that's placed on black men's lives that's hard to watch man it's, it's it's hard to watch and it's hard to experience and it's hard to be there and it was such a unique time because the pandemic caused everything to stop right. and so everybody's watching everybody and i remember going out to like protest and even like the 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 uh, on 35 North, when everybody was out there and the semi-truck came through, right, man, I remember being out there, too. Oh, you were there? On that side, on 35 North, man. Um, this is a crazy time. A crazy time to be here. And so, so let me ask you this. So during that situation, and you were heavily involved and you were a part of that situation now, we started going back to school. Now, you mentioned that you were a teacher. First of all, what grade did you teach? So when the pandemic first kicked off, I was teaching sixth grade. Then, so like 2019, 2020, I was teaching sixth grade. 2020, 21, I was teaching fifth grade. How was your your mindset when you went back into a classroom? Because I believe that's when we started transitioning back into school. And everything that you experienced, everything you were going through, and then... I'm sorry, how many, were there many African-Americans teachers at the school that you were? Man, very few. It was like maybe, so our school was probably a 99% student of color, probably close to 90% black. And there might have been four black teachers between elementary and middle total, but I was the only one in middle. So I think three in elementary, one in middle. And technically, even though fifth grade, I was, I was technically a middle school teacher. 
So what was that experience going back with the students now? Well, I think about, so George Floyd happened in May. School is still going on. So that's when I was teaching sixth grade. But we had gone full virtual at that time. And we weren't even doing, like, synchronous learning. We weren't, like, on Zoom and had kids in front of us. We were doing, like, posting stuff to Google Classroom. So one of the hardest moments being a teacher I've ever experienced is I see George Floyd um, being murdered. I still haven't watched that full video, but having to write something to all my black kids. I got a classroom full of black students, and I can't even see them. I can't even be there for them. I just have to, like, write a message on Google Classroom. I hope they decide to log in and see it. Um, and that was that was rough in itself. But coming back the next year, we started off online, too. And so I was with my kid. I, I never got an opportunity to really be there for their, for students the way I wish I could or the, the way I would envision myself doing if I went back to the classroom now when something happened just because that distance was is, is real. Virtual learning was hard for students. And one of the reasons, like, I became a teacher, a lot of folk become teachers, is for that, like, non-academic time, that opportunity to, like, mentor develop really nurture your kids to pour into them a lot of that happens outside of like the classroom time and i never really got a chance to do that with my kids around george floyd's murder specifically because we were virtual so now marcus you and i met at a conference that was here at at eisenhower Mm -hmm. um it was i was introduced to black men teach twin cities um but can you explain a little bit how it actually came to fruition with Black Men Teach? Yeah, so Black Men Teach got, got we got our 501c3 status in 2018. So I was right before I moved here. And um, I had a core group of board members who kind of came together around this idea of like what's necessary in the community in order to see better outcomes. Because, you know, we got one of the most disparate education environments in the nation. Please explain. Yeah, so Minnesota's tough. When I decided to move here, I remember seeing two lists. One said the best public education systems in the nation. It was Massachusetts was number one. Number two was Minnesota, right, just for the best. Then I remember seeing another list that said biggest black-white education achievement gaps. Number one is Wisconsin. Number two was Minnesota. And so you, we exist in this really paradoxical education system where from a population level, we either do really well or at worst average. But when you disaggregate by race, our outcomes for black and brown students, but specifically black students, are typically towards the bottom. So in 2017, we had the lowest graduation rate in the nation for black and Latinx students. Um, around that same time, if you look at achievement gaps, you had the second largest gap in the nation. Oh. And so it's, it's, again, incredibly disparate, but this idea of black men teach is, I think around that same time, like 2017 time, you have these large national studies being published that talk about the impact that black teachers have, specifically on black students in those earlier grades. So the data tells us that if you have one black teacher in between first and third grade, black student is 13% more likely to enroll in college. If you had a second one, that number goes from 13 all the way up to 32%, right? So huge difference. If you got one black teacher between third and fifth grade, the likelihood of a black boy who's on free and reduced lunch their entire K-8 career, 
the likelihood of them dropping out of high school goes down 39%. So we're talking about life-changing differences, man. It's significant. And so I think all of that kind of came together to produce this idea of Black Men Teach. And so when I moved here in 2019, first thing I did was, like, where's Black Educator Affinity? So I just go to Google to see if I can find, like, a Black Educator Affinity space. That's what I'm looking for. And if it wasn't there, I was like, oh, maybe I'll create one. See if I can get black teachers together and just have like shared space and have community. And so first thing I see, though, in my search is black men teach. I'm like, oh, OK, cool. I'm black. I'm male. I'm a teacher. Say less. Sign up. So I go to the website and it was like real empty. There was a lot of like context around what and why, but it wasn't what are we actually doing? Mm. And so I reached out to him. And the one thing it did seem like to me, I was like, okay, it looks like they focus on men in college. I'm like, since I'm out of college, maybe I can help. So I reached out to see if I could be a board member. So I hit him up, met up with their this guy named Josh Delman at the time. He was the interim program. I know Josh, GT. Yep. Okay. He was the interim program director. So I had reached out to him. I was like, yo, um, tell me more about Black Men Teach, what you're all trying to do. And then I just kind of made this pitch. Like, I looked at your board. You all have like a really impressive group of people, but you don't have any black men that ever had classroom experience on your board. And I'm like, that's an important perspective. And I said, it's even more important to have one that's currently in the classroom. Right. And so I was like, you know, take it back to your board. Let them know I'm interested in being a board member. See what we can do. I'm willing to make the financial contribution, all of it. I told him, like, look, I'll put up a band a year just to be on the board. Right. I was just that level of commitment. He takes it back to them. They say no. And it's like, okay, cool. So I come back to him probably a couple months later. I was like, all right, how about this? Since you all don't have that perspective and it's valuable, I'll sit on your board as a non-voting member. And then what I'll do is I'll convene a group of black male elementary school teachers, because technically, even though I was in sixth grade, I wasn't that. Um, I'll convene a group of black male elementary school teachers, and I'll be a liaison between you all and that group who can serve as an advisory council so that the actions of the board can be in the in alignment with the perspective of current classroom teachers. They said no to that too, though. Interesting. Yeah, so I came back one more time, met up with Josh, and was just talking to him about, like, what can be done, what was he doing? And uh, he was thinking about, like, how are we doing stuff around, like, the college piece? And so I'm like, look, let me let me help. Let me, let me see what I can do. Let me help you. Um, I'll lead that piece. I can recruit college guys. I'll tell them why they should be teachers, all of that. I bring them together, and that piece worked. So in 2020, when all this is going on, I started as a contract staff for Black Men Teach, just working on their college program. Wow. That's a good, that's good levels and steps that you had to take to get your initiative across, or at least to help them understand, because that seems to be what people lose is the perspective of people that's actually on the ground level. Doing it. It's critical, man. It's critical, especially like you trying to get more black men in the classroom. You got to have a perspective of black men to do it, especially ones who've been in the classroom. So for me, too, and part of it was just I knew my personal mission. Like even when I was teaching, I wanted to inspire more of my kids to teach. I wanted to use my little network and my platform to inspire people to come into the classroom because I just knew how beneficial it was. And so my mission aligned with their mission. It just made sense for me to try to do something with them. So now you're based at Eisenhower, if I'm correct, or in St. Paul? 
Yeah, we're based in Eisenhower. I live in St. Paul. Okay. And so, but yeah, we're right here down the road, not too far. Not too far. I know exactly where it's at. And I believe that, I'm not sure if she's still part of your board, but Superintendent Rhoda Mary Peary is yep, part Dr. of the Dr. Mary Peary Reed is our former board chair, still a board member now. Okay. So and she's a founding board member, so she's been there from the jump. Wow, founding board member. And is Joshua Thelman still a part? No, uh, Josh is doing his thing, man. Josh is running an organization called ProServa. He's working with Pelsby to do some stuff around teacher licensure. Uh, he's got an online portfolio process to help teachers move through the licensure system and try to make it more effect, uh, efficient. Yeah, one of the gentlemen that I uh, deeply love as well, too, compared to the work that you do as well. Um, so now, black men teach as hot as fish grease, man. I'm seeing you guys everywhere. Yeah. What? What what are the next steps right now with Black Man Teach? I know there's a several gentlemen that I saw that has been hired by the Hopkins Public Schools. I believe they're in the yep. elementary school. Yep. Tell me a little bit about that process and how that. Well, Hopkins is one of our partners. Um, working on a few other partnerships right now. We have a goal of having eight schools and 20% of their teaching staff be black men. So for us, that's probably in the ballpark of, depending on the size of the schools, between 30 and 40 teachers. And so... Um, I mean, our goal is simple, man. It's recruit, prepare, place, and retain. That's it. Recruit, prepare, place, and retain. That's what we do. And so we work in high schools, college, work with men who are trying to change careers, and we work in the classroom. So those guys in Hopkins right now, one's a second-year teacher, two are first-year teachers. But the goal is to, again, get those, both of those schools that have 20% of their teaching staff as black men. So we have some schools we work with right now that have four black male elementary school teachers, which is super rare. Probably the only schools in the state of Minnesota that could say that. Um, and they still have more coming. We got seven guys right now in college who are about to graduate. Well, let me ask you this. I know the summer's approaching. It's becoming the end of the school year. So is there anything that's coming up for summer programming or anything else that black men teachers doing uh, for the future? coming into this next school year. Man, yeah, we always have stuff coming up, always. So in May, on Saturday, May 6th, we have our Teacher Appreciation Week dinner. Mm. It's called Your Favorite Teacher's Favorite Teacher. And it's an opportunity for us to just celebrate educators. So really, I mean, it's a tough, it's a really hard profession. By some met people's uh, perspective, it's underappreciated. Um, but it's one of the most impactful, it's probably arguably the most impactful job you can have. And so folk needs to be celebrated more. So we're going to take that opportunity to get people together, celebrate them, make sure they feel. I mean, the central question for me that kind of had me thinking about this event was just, I always ask my teachers, man, I'm like, do you understand how impactful you are? And I think inherently it's not possible. I think you always downplay it. I remember when I was teaching, again, when I was teaching uh, fifth grade, I was online. I had a student who I thought absolutely hated me. I'd call her name. She wouldn't respond. She barely paying attention. I thought she hated me. I'm like, I don't know what I did to you, but I just know you don't like me. And uh, I remember um, my birthday's over winter break. And so kids always ask you stuff like, when's your birthday? When's this? All, all of these questions. And I had told them, and one of these days I had opened up my email over break, and I see this PowerPoint presentation I click on it, and I'm like, what is this? It's from that student who I thought did not like me at all. And it's literally a PowerPoint of just why you're my favorite teacher. 
Wow. It's pictures of me from Google, all types of stuff, man. And you could tell, like, she had asked her mom or somebody for help. It was good. I mean, I still have that thing to this day. And my point of telling that story is, like, you literally have no idea how impactful you are to people. Absolutely no idea because I would have bet money this girl ain't like me and sends me that. And so this event is for, for our teachers for black teachers to reckon, to be recognized, to be spotlighted, uh, to be highlighted, and just showing how important and valuable they are. So that's the first thing we got coming up. Then August 2nd and 3rd, we have a conference called Celebrating a Half Percent. So that one's for black men. Try to get 100 black men together, one space, probably the most black male teachers ever assembled in Minnesota's history in a single space at a single time. But we do that. It's a day and a half conference that really focuses on fellowship, um and 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 brotherhood and and then also trying to like so the theme for this one is health and wellness so thinking about as black men how are we being conscious of our health how are we being conscious of how like we heal communities and all of that so getting men together to again celebrate them but then also catalyze them get them ready to go into the school year the end of august or beginning of september well, I got two questions. First of all, thank you for joining us on Parlay today. It's an honor to have you here, and I really appreciate the work that you're doing in the community. Please keep doing it, my man. My two questions. What is the best advice that you've received so far, starting now in 2023? So the best advice I've ever received is um – if you can intersect your passion and your talent, that's how you find your purpose. Wow. That's that's what made me become a teacher, that right there. I went to school to, I was trying to be an epidemiologist, but that piece of advice came from one of my fraternity brothers. Um, kind of switched my whole trajectory. And my second one, what is a special song that takes you to a great place every time you hear it? Oh, yeah, man. Sway in the Morning Freestyle by La Russell. My by La Russell. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we'll we'll kick that off for you when we are heading on out here, my man. And once again, please, you're always welcome back to Parlay. And thank you for joining us today. Oh, yeah, my dog, man. I appreciate you. Thank you. That's Mr. Marcus Flynn, Executive Director of Black Men Teach. Please keep a lookout for this man and his organization. They're doing great things in the community. Have a great evening, everyone. Have a great evening. Chose to stay home, I'm giving them inspiration. Knocking down walls, rebuilding with insulation. Tessie just dropped, she building a brand adjacent. 10,000 shots, I could never get complacent. Ever spend 50K a month to get your people right? Move from the hard and it's still hard to sleep at night. Started therapy, but the shit don't really help. Still trying to redeem past versions of yourself. This is life rap, my shit really like that. Nowadays, I'm willing to die to get my life back. Everybody want a piece, ain't nobody off a piece. Labels don't Respond, they're ashamed at what they offer me. Nigga, you should be. They the only told you what I could be. Guess it ain't tell you who I would be. Thank you. Whole lot of guns, and you still let them spank you. Bought your own chains, but you still let them.